on the words that God has spoken. For the very issue that we'll talk about today involves opinions going beyond what the Word of God says and living that way. It also falls right after the passage in which Paul has been speaking to the church at Rome about how to love one another. We have 11 chapters in Romans that deal very specifically about deeply important theological issues regarding our salvation, our justification, our standing before God. And when Romans chapter 12 makes a transition into a practical application, beginning with making sure that we are not conformed to this world, but rather we trans, our, our, our minds are transferred, or trans, <laughs> our minds are transformed. They're renewed. They're not like this world thinks. We don't live like this world lives. And we do so in such a way where we can prove the old King James translation or we can confirm that which is the perfect and holy and acceptable will of God in the way that we live, in the way that we think. In response to what we know about who we are in Christ. And the practical teachings are not very easy to absorb as a human individual with the flesh. It talks about things like how to submit to the government, it talks about how to love one another. And even in chapter 13, we're reminded to owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Reminding us that if we're going to love one another as God has commanded us as his people to love one another, it's, there's going to be a, a, some rub. There's going to be fleshly issues that come up. There will be things that we will want to satisfy and gratify the flesh that will be to our brother or our sister's harm. And we are to love one another. We are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and fulfill the law in doing so. Now, with that reminder from chapter 13, let's begin reading in verse 1 of Romans chapter 14. Paul says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. He will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. 
The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Let's pray. Father, I'm in desperate need of your help. The task of preaching your word is one that is completely dependent upon your spirit working, not only in the word that has already been confirmed and written and preserved for us, but Lord, in the Holy Spirit that who did that work, continuing it, its work and his work in us as we learn, as we grow, as we seek to honor you with our life. So, Father, I pray that you would hinder me from saying anything that would interfere with your word or compromise your word, change your word, replace your word. But may we all be completely dependent upon it, Lord, to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, I pray that eyes would be open and ears would be open to hear, to see, to understand. May you give us the faith to obey. I pray that you give us joy as a result of knowing the word. I pray, Lord, that your work will be accomplished today, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Paul is addressing one concern related to loving one another. As he says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? As if that were in opposition to loving your brother, which I believe that as we look at this text, we can clearly confirm, yes, it would be. But this is not the only place in scripture in which God has given word through Paul regarding such issues. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, as well as in chapter 10, Galatians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 2, these are all passages in which Paul is dealing with weaker brother, lesser brother. Strong brother in the faith, one who is not so strong in their faith. And there are different issues. We're probably more familiar with eating of meat offered to idols, or we're uh, concerned about whether we observe a particular holy day, those types of things. And these were things that probably were related to the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles that we've already identified in the book of Romans as we've studied. As we talked about, much of the message of Romans at the very beginning is addressing those who were Jewish and, and, and asking them the rhetorical question, uh, was it not good for you to have the law? You should, you should be better off. You should be the spiritually mature person because you have the advantage of law. Or was it not an advantage to you? And, and Paul used much of what he was speaking of theologically in the first 11 chapters in trying to get these two groups of people to understand that they were all saved the same way, justified 
by faith. And that the law was profitable for each of them, whether they originally received it or not. And it is probable that these things that Paul is addressing here in chapter 14, specifically to the church in Rome, were probably offsets of that. That there were probably pockets within that church at Rome that felt that, you know, when I look at the Levitical code, when I look at the Mosaic writings and, and I see that God has called us to abstain from certain things, it would probably be just, just good for us to say, we're not going to eat any meat at all. If I can't eat pork, if I can't have my bacon and my pork chops and my ham and my sausage, then let's just scrap meat altogether. And I can somehow relate to that. Maybe that's the reason why I use that as an example for eating meat. So they would just simply eat vegetables. I don't think that this was a group from California that decided that, you know what, we're going to watch everybody else's health and we're going to dictate everybody's, you know, uh, intake dietarily speaking. Uh, and we're going to make sure that they don't eat it. We're all going to be vegetarians because we don't want to harm any animal. I, I, that's not what Paul is addressing. But nonetheless, he's addressing it because that has become an issue. And before we try to make practical applications, which is something that boy, we love to do when it comes to this about, well, I should be able to do this and you should be able to do that. How dare you keep me from doing this or how dare you do that? We've got all kinds of that stuff going on. There is a practical application to this, but I think that there are three, at least three helpful observations to identify from this passage of scripture before we jump into that boat. Three things that I think will be very helpful for us because Paul, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, included them in this passage of Scripture that will help guide us through this in a very helpful way. The first thing I'd like for us to observe is in verse 4. Paul says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. First observation, we all belong to a master. This, this is not subjective. Uh, the life that you live isn't going to be determined on what the majority thinks or who the president is or where you serve on the mission field. The, we all belong to a master. We, we need to understand that as God's people. My mind immediately goes back in preparation as well as on my sheet because I have it listed here. But my mind immediately goes back to Romans chapter 6 where Paul says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set from free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Now I can guarantee one thing this morning. There's not a lot of things I can guarantee. One thing I can guarantee that you are, uh, you have a master. It's either sin or it's God. 
Jesus said, a man can serve. He cannot serve two masters. He expressed it in such a way where you will either cling to one and despise the other, or you will love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve, in his words, you cannot serve both God and money. Materialism. This world. You, you, you can't serve both. Now Paul, in Romans chapter 6, goes on to speak about the frustration that he has in not wanting to serve one of the masters because he loves the other one, but yet his the law that works in him the law that works in his flesh, something that we can all relate to because we all, regardless of our spiritual standing and maturity, we all are still dealing with the flesh. And the things that we want to do, we don't do. And the things we don't want to do, we do. And we are thankful that when we ask that question out of desperation, who shall save me from this? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our master. The believer has a master. So before we look at this passage of scripture, we need to be reminded and be committed to the understanding that we all belong to a master. The second observation I'd like for you to acknowledge there in verse four as well, that the master or the Lord upholds and welcomes. You see, this master is the one, regardless of the effort that we put in, it is the Lord, the master, who is active and initiates any type of reception within this relationship between master and slave. It is the master who is the one who either welcomes someone or the one who makes one to stand. Romans chapter 12, verse 8, Paul, or verse 3 rather, teaches us, For by the grace given to me to say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has a son. So whether you find yourself as the weak one or whether you find yourself as the one who's living free in Christ, it's because of God. Because God has given to each of us a measure of grace that we should, as he puts it, think with sober judgment. As we make decisions, we understand that the wisdom that we receive to make these decisions comes from God. It doesn't come from us. It doesn't because we, we, we grew up in the right environment or we had the right educational system. It's because God's grace. And so when we serve one another, when we relate to one another in the body of Christ, we need to understand that not only do we have one master, but we need to understand that he is the one who upholds and welcomes. And then the third thing. You're saying, man, you're really going through these points. You should wait until the next section. No, I'm just kidding. The third thing, we will give an account to the Lord. We all have one master. It is this master who welcomes and upholds, but we will one day answer to this master. You may have noted that twice in our service already, once through responsive reading and the other through a prayer of confession, we have acknowledged that there is coming a day of judgment. 
In Isaiah chapter 45, God is reminding his people that, you know what, everything that's been going on, all these nations, everything, you know, one day it's coming to an end. And one day, every knee, not most knees, not willing knees, but every knee will bow. And every tongue, not most tongues, not compassionate tongues, not wise tongues, but every tongue will confess. Why are they going to confess that God's in control, that God is in charge, that God is who he says he is? Paul reminds us of this as Christians. Second Corinthians chapter 5, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Just so that you have an understanding and not have an unnecessary sense of guilt or peril in your life awaiting you, that there is a day of judgment that all the world will face who are without Christ. We read about this in the book of Revelation. We often refer to this as the great white throne judgment because it is a white throne. The one who is seating on the throne is incredibly bright white it's going to be great this is going to be a day in which the books will be open this will be a day in which the lives of those who have been added to the book of life and every work that everyone has ever committed and we all have this vision of some guy with this huge big volume like you know bigger than an encyclopedia set but what like it's one big room and it's just page after page of everything that we've done That day's coming. Jesus, Jesus even had to remind those in his day that there was a day in which even the things that were secret will be made known. You know why? Because there's a record. And for those who will stand before this great white throne judgment with nothing but what they've done with their body, whether it be good or bad, that's all they've got in this book then he will say, depart from me into an everlasting fire forever. But for those of us who are in Christ, and what I mean by that, for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who have been made alive, for those of us who have seen our sin and have been convinced that our sin is worthy of death and we See this gracious gift of a perfect righteous God coming in the form of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, born in flesh so that he could live a perfect life and to die physically on a cross. And there's a whole reason for that. It was not because he got mistreated, not because he messed up, because somebody did something to him that he wasn't in control of, but because he chose to do what the songwriters insisted be done in their song to say that the wrath of God was satisfied because his blood was shed to make atonement for sin. If it is said of us that that is who we are in Christ, then we need not dread. We need not dread. Hell. 
But there's a day coming. A day that should sober us. That we will stand before Christ. Not because we're going to prove that we're good enough for heaven. Because we're going to give an account of our body, whether it be good or bad, and there will be reward. Reward. For what? I, I didn't do anything. It wasn't in my power. It wasn't my wisdom. It wasn't my strength. It wasn't my plan. I was simply obedient. I, was, I had faith in Christ. I surrendered. He, he worked through me. But it wasn't me. It, was, it wasn't me, but it was Christ. And the Apostle Paul says that there will be a day in which there will be good and faithful servant. Enter in. But we'll give an account to the Lord with what we've done with our body because of what he has promised us. His promises are, are sure. Our soul will not be lost if we're in Christ. But we will give an account. So we all belong to a master. The Lord is the one who upholds and welcomes, and we will give an account to the Lord. These three things, I think, will help us as we dive into the practical application, if you will, of the message. The first thing, which is all of these are going to be obvious. I'm not giving you anything that I found in weeks of study or a lifelong of experience to try to figure out all the intricacies of God's word. These are pretty clear. But here I am to remind you. First instruction, do not quarrel over opinions. Rather welcome or receive the weaker one. Verse three. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let the one who abstains not pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. A couple of things we need to identify here. Don't, th that we should not argue or quarrel over opinions. What, what, what does opinions mean? Well, it, it's probably very much what you're thinking about. It's things that we have deliberated in our minds, things that we have reasoned out. The subjective application in our own hearts towards life. And Paul says, for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but don't quarrel over opinions. So this is a word given to the one that's not weak. But what does it mean to be weak? Does this mean that this is an immature person? This is a person who hasn't, he just hasn't learned enough about the Christian faith. Well, actually, this word is translated most other times throughout the New Testament as sick. Infirmities. Not healthy. Now, we can try to make some application. I don't think that we need to go too far with this. But we just need to understand that when Paul is addressing a certain group of people within the church at Rome as being weak, we need to understand it's not something that if they just learned a little bit more, they would get over. Or at some point in their life, when they finally are a Christian for 20 years, then they'll finally get it. But I think that what is being meant here by this term weak, as Paul uses it, is that they're not functioning 
fully as intended. But again, Paul says, what? As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him. Interestingly enough, this is the same word that's used in verse 3. For God has welcomed the one who is supposedly not weak. Isn't that neat? If you see somebody who's practicing something that, in your opinion, isn't necessary, like being a vegetarian, if you see somebody who thinks that they're not only doing themselves a favor, but doing God and everybody else a favor by not eating meat, you don't despise them. You welcome them just as God has welcomed you. The one who is understanding who you are in Christ and know just what your liberties allow you to do. You don't quarrel about opinions. You don't go over and start deliberating and start saying, don't you really want to be like me? Don't you understand that I've got this figured out? Why? Because the only reason why I've got this figured out is because God has welcomed me. And so I graciously receive my brother or sister who is weak just as God has graciously welcomed me because I am infinitely weak. Apart from him, I can't do anything. So when you have someone who wants to talk about, is it okay for a Christian to drink alcohol? Mark, how can you even bring that one up? That's a clear identification of something that's wrong. Not to everyone. What do you do? If you learn, now let me just go ahead and make something clear. I do not drink alcohol. But if I was to tell you at this moment right now that, you know what, I just want to let you know every time I come in for work, it's really a rough day and I just need a glass of wine before I go to bed. What just happened in your mind right now? Did you welcome me? Did you receive me as God has received you? Or do you want to start an argument about why I'm wrong? Let's put it in a little bit more contemporary context. There's some Christians that would say, if you love your neighbor, you'll get the vaccine for COVID. There's some other Christians who say, because of its relationship it may have with aborted human tissue and my body is the temple of God, I'm not going to take the vaccine. What just happened in your mind right now? And if somebody lived through either one of their positions, would you receive them as God has received you? Or would you say, well, I tried to tell you. We could go on and on. When I was in college, 
I had to sign a statement saying I would not go into a movie theater as a student of Piedmont Bible College. It didn't matter if it was a G-rated movie. It didn't matter if it was a cartoon. It, it, it wouldn't even matter if it was a Billy Graham crusade film being shown in the movie theater. I could not go into a movie theater because someone may see me leaving the movie theater and not know that I went in to just see Billy Graham evangelistic crusade movie. They might have thought I went in to go see the R-rated movie that had a bunch of filth in it. And some of you are saying, well, you know what? I'm an adult. I can watch an R-rated movie. It doesn't buy my conscience any. What is going on in your mind right now? Because those type of issues are happening all the time, everywhere. You want to complicate things even more? Become a missionary and go to a completely different culture than what you grew up in. And see how people live, what type of clothes people wear, the expectations that are placed on certain people. Paul makes it very clear. Don't quarrel about opinions. Now, let me be really clear here. He's not talking about things of dogma. He's not talking about things of doctrine. He's not talking about, oh, can you change the words over to not be the wrath of God was satisfied? Can you just say the love of God was magnified? No. Big fat no, because that's proof. That is clear. That is orthodox. That is Christianity at its core. You can't have God's love magnified without having his wrath satisfied. Unless we all go to hell. Thank you, Pastor, for the illustration you just provided. But we're not talking about those types of issues. We're if you can go to a passage of Scripture and say, thou shalt not commit adultery, then guess what? I, I picked this up when I was in my youth group. There's some things you don't have to pray about. If you got a young man saying, you know what, I would like to get intimate with my girlfriend before I get married. Would you pray for me about that? No, because you don't have to pray about that. Now, if you come to me and say, you know what, I want to take my girlfriend to this movie. We can have a conversation. But there's things that uh, we, 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 we must be dogmatic about. And then there's things that we must understand. You know what? They may not be exercising the full liberty that God has provided for them to do so. But I'm not going to argue about it. I'm going to receive them just like God has received me with grace. Now. To the other, to the weaker. Paul says, do not pass judgment. Verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Don't let the person who says, you know what, I, not only do I enjoy bacon, but I'm going to enjoy bacon every day of my life, and God is not going to condemn me for it because God has said that I, if I bless it, it's going to be great and I can enjoy the taste. It doesn't matter how many calories or how many clogged arteries or how many years I take off my life. I'm going to eat it every day of my life. Let not that person look at the person and says, Man, you're really missing out. And despise that one. But rather understand that he's serving 
the Lord. To understand that it is his master. Verse 4 says, you who are to pass judgment, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld. Don't think the fact that he is not exercising all the liberty in Christ that you're exercising. Think that he's somehow going to trip up. Because it's not based on whether he can trip up or not. It's based on the fact that the Lord is able to help him stand. Colossians chapter 2, Paul uses these words. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now that's a great start, right? That's a tremendous truth to understand that God has taken all of our sin and he nailed it to the cross with Christ. Therefore, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Because it is God who has paid for this sinner to be redeemed and ransomed to be his servant. So who are you to look at the person that he has redeemed from sin, the person whose sins were identified with Christ on the cross? Who are you to pass judgment on whether he eats or drinks? or whether he celebrates Christmas or not, or whether or not he still observes the Passover. See, I got some of you thinking, whoa, 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 we all celebrate Christmas. You might be surprised at some of the rich Christian thinkers over the past several centuries who said, you know what, have nothing to do with it. It's not that they were getting rid of the incarnation of Christ. It wasn't that they were dismissing that Christ came in the flesh. They abstained because of the worldliness that they saw attached to it. Wow, that's so silly. Who are you to judge? Who are we to stand as if we gained something different than God's grace? So we, it's not that we, we simply, it's not just not passing judgment. It's respecting the Lord. Now, let me also be clear about this. That it was Jesus who said that you will be able to know someone by their fruit. That doesn't make me the gardener. That doesn't make me the one who with the pesticide goes and sprays everybody. But we have to have a discerning mind to know who this person is as opposed to this person. If you watch, big if, if you watch so-called Christian television, you better be able to judge what's right and wrong. You better be able to determine if this is a good teacher or if this is a bad teacher. Paul even scolded the church at Corinth when they had a man living with his father's wife, scolded them as if they thought that they were better than everybody else because, well, we're not being judgmental on these people. We're not going to deal with his sin. 
because that's just not what we do. Yes, we do. In matters of truth and doctrine, we better. We better be able to discern. We better be able to judge. Now, not in the sense in which I'm condemning someone. That's not what I'm talking about. Jesus said he didn't come to condemn because in our sin, we're already condemned. But what we do is we make value statements and, 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 and estimations to say, based on what's going on over here, this is my conclusion. We need to be wise in that regard. But when it comes to issues of non-doctrine, weaker, stronger brother things, we don't pass judgment. But we respect that they have a Lord who will not only help them stand, but notice as we continue reading verse 5, one person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced as much. For one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, he gives thanks to God. Now, if someone's doing this in a way in which they're feeling self-righteous, let's let's go back to our alcohol situation because I know we all, we, we just love to talk about whether we should drink or not. But if that's the case, if someone freely enjoys drinking alcohol, not to the point of drunkenness, because again, that's a matter of what? Dogma. The, the scriptures make it very clear that it gives warning signs to doing such a thing. We can all agree on that. Whether we all agree on the same point of whether you can drink alcohol or not, we can all agree that the Bible makes it very clear that drunkenness is a sin, like gluttony, that we don't talk about nearly as much, but just as much as sin. If someone is able to enjoy a glass of wine after they get off work every, every single day, and they do it in such a way where they say, Lord, thank you, providing this to bring comfort, however that works. Again, I don't know how that works. I don't know how that feels. I, I, I don't do it, never have. But if someone finds joy in that and they can bring honor to the Lord in doing so like they do anything else with their body, then who am I to judge as much as I am over here saying, Lord, thank you for not even exposing me to a, the possibility of ever becoming a drunkard or an alcoholic, for never falling under the control of a substance that keeps me from having control over what I would do with my body. Thank you for that. Either way, I'm honoring the Lord. But if I'm doing either one of these ways in a way that, well, I'm just showing you how spiritual I am. I'm just showing you how liberated I am. I'm just showing you how good I am. I'm showing you how much I can enjoy things. Then you know what? That's fleshly. And that's wrong. But as we do it unto the Lord, we do it out of respect to the Lord. Not just ours, but ours collectively. And then the last point is I close. Not only do we not quarrel over opinions, but receive the weaker one. Not only do we not pass judgment, but we respect the Lord. 
but we are to be convinced in your own mind. That means entirely accomplished in your mind through study, through wisdom that you gained, that you are sure that what you're doing in your own mind is right unto the Lord. Because Paul says again in verse 6, I'm sorry, in verse 7, for none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that we might be, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. So why do you pass judgment on your brother? We're all going to stand before the Lord. We're all going to give an account of what we've done with our body, whether it be good or bad. So who are you to pass judgment? You need to be living to the Lord. Whatever convictions you draw, you need to draw them from truth and you need to do them as unto the Lord. You don't do them in such a way where you prove to somebody that you're better than they are. You don't do it in such a way where you show yourself to be higher up, that you've got it figured out. We live as unto the Lord. But Mark, that means that sometimes we live differently than I do. And let's face it, that bothers us sometimes, right? There's, there's all, we might not have the same issues, but we've all got those issues that when people don't behave like we behave or they don't accept what we accept or they live in a way that's different than ours, at some point in our life, it starts to rub us raw. Right? I am chief of that. But why? Is it because I want to honor the Lord or is it because I want to honor me? My answer is the latter. Because I like for people to be like me. I'm comfortable around people like me. I like people who are like me. There's not enough people that are like me. If people were like me, they would understand me. If people were like me, they would do what I want them to do. If everybody was like me, we would be on our way to hell. So I welcome the person who's not like me. As God welcomed me. But not forgetting this, from Paul's writing to the church of Corinthians in chapter 10. Why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Paul, do you not understand what powder keg you have just lit up in the church right there? Why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, to all to the glory of God. But Mark, that means somebody's supposed to do something wrong in the name of God. But Mark, you don't understand that. It's going to make them weak over here and it's going to subject them to death. I'm not their Lord. 
I'm not their master. And they're not going to answer to me one day. We can only promote this in such a way that when you hear people say, you know what, if I pray about it, God's going to give me everything I want because he said that if I pray about it, if I believe he can do it, he's going to do it. And those of us who are good conservative Christians, we will always follow that with, uh, with what? If it's in accordance with his will, right? <laughs> Which is right. Don't, don't misunderstand. I, I'm not trying to make light of that but, because that's what we should do. He will give us the desires of our heart if we delight ourselves in him. It's conditional. It's not that we just go willy-nilly, just go out there and ask for anything. And Well, God, you said you would give me anything. Anything's possible with you. Name it, claim it. There's a condition there. God will give according, he will answer prayer in accordance to his will. Same thing here. Does that mean I can do anything and please God? If it's according to his will. There's some things that he's made very clear. There's some things that he hasn't mentioned in his word. And we have to be committed to the word of God in such a way. Not committed to culture. Not committed to politics. Not committed to our family traditions or even our church. But committed to the word of God so much that my conscience will be bothered when I do something that is against God's word. Not because it goes against somebody else's lifestyle. Or because somebody else's lifestyle or choices go against mine. Because I am going to stand before God one day and I give account for one person and one person alone. And it is to him I live and it is unto him that I die. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. You make truth very clear and you make the act of communicating your truth very simple but it is only because your Holy Spirit works through your word as he's inspired it to change us and to give us joy. Father, I pray that there has not been anything that I've said that would be misunderstood or to lead somebody astray from the truth. But I pray, Father, that as your spirit works in our lives, having heard your word, may we be compelled to, to honor you with our life. Not to look for areas of how we can live making provisions for our flesh, but finding avenues and ways in which we can love people in spite of what we want and what we do. Help us, Father, to whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, may we do all to the glory of God. May we recognize that you have given nothing to us without a purpose that will bring joy. But may you also remind us that everything that you've been, you have given to us can be misused, dishonoring you, and bringing corruption to our life when we fail 
to honor you and thank you for what you've done and given us. Father, help us today. We need your help. Help our church. Everyone who is under the sound of my voice right now, I pray. I pray for us that we would believe you. That we would commit ourselves to you. We would honor you in all that we do. We ask this in Christ's name.